This is Future Primitive, and you're listening to Dialogues with Joanna Harcourt-Smith and Mike Hagan. All right, this is Future Primitive, and you're listening to Dialogues. My name is Mike Hagan. I'll be co-hosting the show with my good friend Joanna Harcourt-Smith, who's on the line with me from about 4,000 miles away in Spain. Joanna, hi. Hi. Hi, and hello to everybody who's listening. I'm very happy to be, uh, to be recording this with Mike. How exciting, huh, Joanna? This is, uh, for everyone listening, this is the inaugural uh, program, the inaugural release of this new and uh, forthcoming radio program. Well, it's been some uh, some months that uh, you and I and uh, and John Lash and the people at metahistory.org have been imagining uh, a sound web that could reach um, all over the internet, and uh, so uh, this sound web can be an invitation and a place of expression. It is, and uh, that's what we're hoping to make it, at least, I think. And so, Joanna, let's do that. Let's give out the website address uh, for people uh, to go there and get a feel for what we're doing. The uh, new website, of course, is www.futureprimitive, F-U-T-U-R-E, primitive, P-R-I-M-I-T-I-V-E, dot O-R-G, futureprimitive.org. And it's something that I'm really proud of, and uh, uh, it's an e- evolving thing. A child like you and I like to talk about it, Joanna, but it's, uh, uh, it's up, I guess I should say, and uh, we'd like people to go take a look at it, and uh, it will be growing and evolving as we do. I want to say that, uh, why future primitive, um, and I'm sure both of us will say it uh, many times in our conversation this evening, um, future primitive because I think there are a lot of people out there who would join with us in, in, uh, in saying that at this point, um, those of us who, uh, who are listening to the assessments about nature and, to the, and who are looking at the historical history uh, developments are really wondering how we're going to get from the present to the future and whether it's possible at all. And I would say that the only clue um, that, that I really sense to be uh, deeply, that would al- al- allow some orientation towards the future is to uh, look into indigenous wisdom, primitive, uh, primitive ways of of honoring life and, and organizing our presence in the web of life. And then somehow integrating the cultural artifices that exist now, technologically, etc., uh, somehow being able to integrate those things with these uh, more archaic ideas to bring, to bring forward a, a brand new future, like you mentioned. Like uh, we are imagining and implementing with, with our website. Um, we both, I know you and I, see, see the Internet as a connective tool. Mm. And uh, I'm very excited about connecting the sound of our voices 
And so in that way, uh, I find the, the Internet to be um, a, uh, a wonderful tool to bring um, oral tradition to many people. I agree with you, and it's stunning, actually, what we're able to do now. Uh, the Internet is uh, this just remarkable uh, tool that's been placed in our hands, and it gives us, first of all, it gave us the opportunity to, to meet to begin with. Uh, you and I would not even know uh, one another existed uh, for the most part were it not for the interconnectivity that the, that the Internet provides. And uh, the technologies are, are being, we know that the technologies are being used uh, for, for nastiness in many occasions. So we have to take the responsibility to also use the technology to do good things. And, and I think it really allows us to do that if we don't trivialize it and if we, if we recognize the power inherent in, uh, in these technologies. And I, I'm, I'm so excited about uh, the fact that you and I are going to be able to do it together. The fact that you're in Europe and I'm in America is an amazing thing alone. Absolutely, and uh, and I also feel um, feel honored to be able to do what uh, both uh, both people I uh, I admire and 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 love, Terence McKenna and Timothy Leary, have both um, died, <laughs> departed to be part of different stories mm. in different realities, but they both left us the message very clearly that uh, the uh, the brain, the connective brain, the connected internet brain uh, was an amazing tool for creativity. My gosh, isn't it the truth? And I'm so together with you on that. Terrence was, of course, uh, a wonderful teacher of mine and a friend, and uh, I love him, and and I love his brother, and I love everyone that has been touched by him, and uh, the same thing goes for Timothy. So, hey, look, uh, Joanna, before we get yes. too deeply into Future Primitive, I think that we have a responsibility to our new audience to let people know who the heck we are. So why don't we do a little bit of a background on ourselves? How about if you start and tell people a little bit about who you are? Uh, certainly some people will know, but I'm sure some people won't. So as much as you'd like, but maybe a little bit about uh, your background. Well, um I'm absolutely European, and yet I feel I understand uh, the American, the American mindset, and somewhat the American, the American continent quite well. I was uh, I was born in Europe, um, of European parents. Uh, and I say European because I really, I was born from parents from different countries and I grew up again in a different country. I grew up in, in Paris, which, um, I found to, I found to be a privilege because, uh, Paris is such a, such a beautiful city and so I considered myself, uh, to be, uh, a fortunate child to grow up in that city. And, but, um, unfortunately, um, I, uh, I have come to understand that, uh, I, um, I grew up, uh, under brutal, unenlightened parenting. And then being open to understanding that, I, I have been able to understand that, um, I grew up, uh, in the post-war era in a brutal, unenlightened culture. Right. 
uh, not across the board, uh, because there always have been and there always will be um, artist renditions that uh, are not brutal and unenlightened and that pass on the poetry um, of life and existence. But all in all, the culture I grew up in, the industrial, the peak of the industrial culture uh, was a br- is, is a brutal culture. Right, right. So um, I... Uh, from very early on, from the age of 14, 15, um, mainly I think through classical music. Um, I listened to a lot of classical music when I was younger, and uh, through classical music, I, um, I was able to enter into the core of, um, of what I didn't know yet to be uh, what I would call today fluid uh, intertwining systems. What I mean by that is that classical music um, is is many, many, many instruments and many, many people playing together to make uh, a coherent and sensual sound. Right, right. So I think classical music was the um, the first time that I realized that um, not being alone, really connecting with other, other people, other sounds, there could be a, a braid of, of sound that could emerge that was the sum total of many different sounds and that... Uh, that could be more beautiful than just one isolated voice. So all this to say that um, classical classical music really sparked my um, my desire to examine the patterns that I was that I grew that I grew up in the beliefs that I was given. And then, of course, I was I was lucky. I mean, I uh, I. I was a young person um, in um, in 90, well, I was born in 1946, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was a, uh, a young person in 1960, 62, 63, 64, and even in Europe, I started getting whiffs uh, and uh, and sounds from the. Um, from the counterculture that was emerging in in the state, right? Primarily in California, right? Primarily in California, and I wanted to become a part of that. I wanted to be a part of what I experienced through the music, mainly to to be an incredibly creative impulse. Hmm. And um, so uh, I wanted to join up with. Um, with the people I considered to be my tribe, mm-hmm. and um, and so uh, in 1969 I went to the states. Um, I flew to Washington D.C. from um, from uh, from Madrid, from Spain, and uh, and I got there during the biggest demonstration against the Vietnam War, and. Uh, 
and I felt alive and I felt that I had arrived to somewhere that was home with my own generation. Now, that was actually New York or Washington or something, wasn't it? That was Washington. Washington, yes. okay, all right. That was at the Washington Monument in 1969. Amazing. All right, so then, uh, so it brought you to America for sure, and, and, and then things really got interesting. Well, I became a seeker, like many, many people of my generation. And by seeker, uh, what I mean is um, I, I somehow got the message that it was possible to have the freedom to organize one's own reality. And that, to me, sounded and still sounds like the most revolutionary uh, thing one can do. And one thing into another, um, which uh, we'll talk about uh, at other times, um, I found, I looked for and I found Timothy Leary, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Timothy Leary. Um, I found him in Switzerland, interestingly enough. <laughs> and I was 27 years old and he was 53 and he was a fugitive from prison. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to take acid with this person, and I'm going to find out how, how to rearrange my own mind. And um, what I found out uh, by taking acid with Timothy Leary the first time is that our birthright is ecstasy. How much had you known about Timothy before uh, before you found him? I knew very little. I knew very little. I, I knew that um, he was one of the major spokespeople for uh, my generation. Um, I knew that uh, he had... Uh, uh, been very courageous in his research with uh, with LSD. Right. I had already taken LSD, okay. and so I knew um, how it blew open the doors of of one's psyche. Uh, but I knew very very little about him. Well, let, let, let's go back to this word ecstasy. It's a word that is sort of wrapped in misunderstanding probably in our culture and and many people use it probably not really knowing what they mean by it maybe you could in your own words explain what you mean by ecstasy in the context that you and timothy had this revelation well you know the the, the feeling of ecstasy has evolved or the way i can explain ecstasy has evolved tremendously through through my life um it's been many years since I had that feeling, but um, I would say that the, the message I got then and the way I feel now is that ecstasy uh, is about feeling intimate with intimate and connected with everything uh, around me, um, the earth, trees, the sky, stars, people, 
animals mm. to really be to really be connected to just be like uh, Gunther Pauli says to be an enzyme and to be working with life and for life. Wonderful definition. Okay. All right. So uh, so that changes everything then for you. Well, that changes everything and. Uh, and I spent uh, uh, several years uh, with Timothy Leary as uh, as lovers and as partners. And uh, part of that time, he was in prison in the United States. Mm. And uh, I learned a lot about uh, political systems and um, and the fact that uh, freedom of thought is not free. That's for sure. And uh, that. Uh, Freedom of thought is the freedom of thought is the it's something that we we have to gain uh, feeling by feeling moment by moment. So Timothy and I were together for several years, and uh, and then we broke up, and I went sailing. I got a sailing boat, and I went sailing, and I I basically went sailing for seven years. Wow and really became connected with the environment. Amazing. I never knew that, Joanna. Yeah, I bought a sailboat. I um, I ran into John Lilly after I broke up with, uh, with Timothy. Sure. And I told him that I had a desire that I, at that time, Timothy and I were, had been talking a lot about going to space um, and creating a colony in space. Mm. And so I joked with John Lilly, I said, well, since we're not going to go to space, I think that the next best thing is to jump off land and go on to the sea. <laughs> well, you know, John was very interested in space as well. A lot of his work with dolphins was based on the fact that uh, he thought they would be great companions in space, you know. Absolutely. Amazing. So I bought a sailboat and, uh, and I went sailing for several years. And, um, you know, I just wanted to make this long story short. Ah, no, we've got uh, time. This is good. We need, to, we need to lay this all out because, you know, one of the things that I think about this program is that I want it to be intimate. I want people to know who we are. I want people to, to know these stories about us because it's going to be different than, uh, than, than any other uh, program that's out there, I hope. And this is one of the things that's going to set it apart. Absolutely. Thank you for, um, for the encouragement. <laughs> Um, you know, because uh, I love to talk about myself, but um, when you when you talk about yourself, immediately you're talking in the past, because I'm not at this moment who I was talking about a moment ago. Certainly. And uh, and so um, I I just I just love the present moment, and uh, in the present moment. I feel so strongly drawn to being um, a light that connects people who really love our planet and our home. And so I would say that uh, that for me, the, my whole life has been preparation to approach people who understand that uh, we're on the Titanic, it is sinking, and 
there are other things we can do than to simply do ball dancing on the Titanic. Right. Uh, I think I think one of the metaphors... Ballroom dancing, sorry. <laughs> Ballroom dancing, that's right. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting from that metaphor, though, Joanna, is that uh, while people are ballroom dancing, there are lifeboats. There are ways to survive and to, and to move forward. And I think this is part of uh, the main focus of what Future Primitive is about and what our component of that is, this, this conversation that we're calling dialogues, is these ideas of sustainable living strategies and integration with nature in the future and, uh, you know, a resurgence of oral tradition, permaculture, these sorts of ideas. And uh, those are the lifeboats. You know, we love the term. Uh, we've coined the term at, uh, at Meta History and Future Primitive. Uh, we call it women the lifeboats. Women the lifeboats. <laughs> And um, and I do um, I do feel well I do feel that the answers are in reconciliation between mm. men and women Certainly. and very much the answers are um, in women in the women and uh, and the women uh, becoming stronger and more responsible for the for the lifeboats. Mm. Joanna, I'll, I'll, I'll digress for a moment. I had a conversation last night. Uh, I was feeling bored, and I went out to have a beer uh, in Colombia and just to sort of get a feel for the throb of the zeitgeist like I like to do, you know, and see what the kids are talking about and stuff. But anyway, I had a conversation with a young lady last night, and uh, uh, we were talking about exactly this sort of thing. And the, the kids are feeling all of this stuff too, you know. There's a great emergence. There's a great emergence, Mike, uh, I think, amongst, uh, uh, I can say, young people, uh, because I'm proud to be the age that I am, and I'm also incredibly concerned for the generations that come after me. I think there's a great search of heart and courage amongst the younger generations. Yes, and and, uh, this girl in particular, we were talking about, Men and about, uh, I made a comment to her. She was talking about how she couldn't find a boyfriend and she was having difficulty with her love life and this and that. And, and one of the th- comments that I made during the conversation was exactly what you point out about how women have been far too compromising in what they've been willing to accept from their men. And I basically told her, you know, set the bar so high you can't even believe it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that women really do need to demand more responsible a behavior out of the men that they uh, that they decide to, to to spend their time with. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I mean, and vice versa, I guess. I mean, men certainly have to be aware of who they spend their time with too. But uh, but certainly, there's a power in the feminine that is not being utilized and not being tapped right now that could be really helpful. I think. Listen, Mike. I have on my screensaver. Uh, I have a, a sentence from a poet called. Um, Hilda Doolittle, HD, who's an amazing English, uh, English poet. And, uh, it's, it's very simple. It says, I go where I love and where I am loved. <laughs> I go where I love and where I am loved. And it's taken me a lifetime to see that that, to me, 
is what I want to do. It's the key to who I want to be. And it's also, to me, the key to future primitives. Wonderful, Joanna. It's beautiful. And I think that that's a great place to take a break here. Why don't we do that, Joanna? We'll take a break. We'll play a little piece of music for the listeners here and come back in just a few minutes and talk some more, okay? And and you will talk to us about you and how you came to <sighs> this to this crossroads uh, with me in this place. Now. All right. I, I, I'd love to. Okay, everybody. This is Mike Hagan and Joanna Harcourt-Smith, and you're listening to Dialogues a uh, cooperative effort with metahistory.org, sponsored by the Marion Institute. And you can find information about us at www.futureprimitive.org. We'll be back in just a moment with Joanna and Mike.
That was Wind Sailor by the Wimshurst Machine. Independent international music on Dialogues with Joanna Harcourt-Smith and Mike Hagan. All right, we're back. This is Mike Hagan and Joanna Harcourt-Smith. You're listening to Dialogues on Future Primitive. Hello, Joanna. <laughs> Hello, Mike. All right, we're back. So we are, we are cruising along through our inaugural program, and I'm so excited about it. Uh, so, Mike, tell us uh, about you and how you came to this place and uh, what you want to do in this, uh, in this partnership. All right. Well, um, I was born in 1964, right about the time when you were just getting going with some really interesting parts of your life, right before you came to the States, apparently. And I uh, was just a young kid, grew up in a middle-class uh, sort of industrial community in northern Illinois, and I was brought up in a strictly Catholic household. I consider myself sort of an escaped Catholic. <laughs> and um, But it was uh, an amazing experience, actually. I went through the entire uh, learning and indoctrination experience of being Catholic, including altar boy and school. Uh, I went to a Catholic school through high school. Um, and uh, it was a big part of my life until I was about 15 or 16 years old. And I, although I didn't really realize it at the time, my story is in many ways similar, uh, similar to yours. I was the product of a, of a, of a brutal uh, childhood as well, although not really knowing it uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I got older and realized some of the things that had happened to me uh, as a younger boy, uh, mm-hmm. it became obvious that, the, that there were some things that were not the way they should have been. And I began uh, to go through my own destruction and rebirth, I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, because, mm-hmm. because there was a time, you know, where it almost destroyed me. And... Uh, uh, but at the same time, being able to hold on, you know, makes you strong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, as a, I went through some really strange things. We'll leave it as, uh, leave it at that. As, as a, as a, as a young boy, uh, through the age of about 15, and at 15, I lost my sister. My oldest sister was killed in a car accident, and, wow. and uh, it was, again, one of these sort of shockwave type events that happen whenever there's a. Uh, uh, an unexpected event like that that occurs, and it happens all the time. It happens every day. It's happening mm. right now. Somebody just lost someone, you know, in a tragic, mm. tragic event, and it's uh, unfortunately, it's the way of the world. Um, but sometimes it gets right in your face, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, at about 15, uh, that uh, that happened when I was 15. So I, and I was just coming out of this very strange, abusive relationship with a man. Uh, who had been uh, uh, involved in my life for for the for the previous few years, uh, a man outside of my family. Mm-hmm. And again, another very strange story we don't have to get into. But the bottom line was, uh, my sister died, and then I basically snapped, and I I I walked away from everything, from uh, the Catholic religion, from my family, uh, from uh, school. I never really cared too much about school anyway. It was always very simple for me, so I never really had to worry about it a whole lot. And I was lucky in that way. Um, but I really just sort of detached myself from everything and, and went inside and began to live there. 
And, uh, well, years went by, and that began to, how do you say, Joanna, show itself in, 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 in abhorrent <laughs> behavior, you know? I began, yeah. I began to, uh, I was dysfunctioning uh, as, a, as an adult member of our community, of our society. I was a broken person. Yes, I know. I was a broken person, too. Yeah, and um, so, uh, you know, so when you're broken, you just go along doing the best you can. And you re- many times, you know, the whole ignorance is bliss scenario really is a real one. Many times you don't realize you're broken or, or you don't want to realize it or something like this. But at any rate, I just, you know, I, I went to college and I did all that and got a degree and uh, went into corporate America and got a job here and did that for a while then got a job there and did that for a while. And I've been uh, lucky enough uh, that I've been such a flake when it comes to work and that sort of thing that I've had tremendous uh, amount of experience in many different fields and I've learned a whole lot. Uh, because I'm observant, and uh, even though I may not have been enjoying what I was doing at the time, I was watching, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've been in the medical industry. I've been in the uh, the aerospace community. I've been in the defense industry. I worked for the Department of Defense uh, as a civilian contractor in Europe for a while, uh, living in Germany, uh, in Bavaria, actually the southern part of Germany, which was a tremendously uh, enlightening experience. This was back in 1989, uh, right about in the time. In what way? In what way? Well, I can't speak a whole lot about it. Uh, uh, I was, uh, I had a security clearance. I was working as a, um, uh, as an independent, uh, as a civilian contractor. But this was in 1989, and it was right when, uh, shortly after the Berlin Wall had fallen, and mm-hmm. the reintegration of of uh, East and West Germany was about to be. Uh, was 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 in the was in the process of happening as a matter of fact, which was mm-hmm. which was in hindsight I think will 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 eventually be be remembered as a, a very significant event in in 20th century history, uh, mm-hmm. but but we don't really have that uh, that that perspective yet. But at any rate, they were looking the American government, who has uh, a significant presence in Germany, was looking for people that could speak German, and I happen to speak very good German. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was dating a girl in, in uh, Denver at the time, and I was trying to get away from her because she wanted to marry me. And so I saw an ad in the paper that said, work in Germany. That was as short as it was. It, you know, they, they advertise in very interesting ways, the, the Department of Defense and the military types. Mm-hmm. And it was one sentence, work in Germany, and then it had a phone number. So I called the phone number. And uh, they advised me to go to this hotel uh, where they were having some conference, supposedly, and I'm going to meet with all these people. And uh, anyway, long story short, I convinced them that I would be a good candidate to go fly to Germany for free and live there for as long as I decided to and and, uh, and work on translations and these sort of things uh, that had to do with uh, uh, the reunification of uh, East and West Germany, quite frankly. So, and, and in what way did that change you, you, the conditions that are Mike Hagen? Well... Uh, I was still the same broken person when I went to when I went to Germany. Don't get me wrong, but you know a lot of what we're going to be talking about on our program is culture and uh, what culture really is. And it became apparent to me that culture was not what I thought it was when I went to Germany because I realized that culture 
really wasn't reality. It was just a particular set of rules that any that uh, that any given group of people used to define reality. Uh, be, be, because the European ideas were significantly different than American ideas, and I was beginning to see that people, uh, although the although we were the same as organisms, you know, uh-huh. uh, and and that's the really interesting thing. You know, I was learning history at the same time and and uh, paleontology, and I've been very into archaeology, and I've had, you know, I've I've had a tremendous uh, uh, curiosity my whole life, and and so I've, you know, dove into different areas of research over all these years, sometimes, you know, literature, sometimes poetry, sometimes epistemics of science, sometimes mathematics, and I've really uh, tried to learn about what makes the world tick, you know, and I realized that human beings haven't even changed much, you know, in the last 100,000 years. We're basically the same people that we were. Uh, the difference has been culture. This is the only, this culture changes really quickly. The human being as organism doesn't change quickly at all. Right, right. Uh, so anyway, I was starting to realize these sorts of things and, uh, and, and uh, working for the government, realizing what a crooked sham that whole deal was, and realizing that I didn't want to get uh, tied up and waste my energy there. Anyway, eventually came home uh, uh, to the States, lived in Denver for a long time, was a Chicago native originally, and uh, as I said, all the time reading and learning, although I was doing nothing uh, professionally to move myself forward as far as the culture was concerned, I was an absolute failure, uh, and including my, to my family in many ways. You know, I didn't, I didn't get the, you know, the, the big six-figure salary at uh, Microsoft or anything like that. I always preferred, you know, the subtle job where nobody talked to me, you know, where I could have the computer and, and do my own thing, and I was always willing to sacrifice money for that. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, eventually, I found radio, and uh, it is, uh, uh, that, that was uh, the primary uh, impetus for my meeting you uh, last year, or a year and a half ago, I guess it was now, but... Um, yeah. Uh, but but radio has been the launch pad now for my dreams, quite frankly, uh, because it has given me uh, an opportunity to, number one, speak and share the words of my heroes, who I get to talk to on a weekly basis, and, mm-hmm. and, and whose words are so powerful to me uh, that uh, I hope that they... Uh, that the, that the force of them is felt uh, with others. So that's the one thing, you know. Why don't you quickly mention your uh, your website and your radio program? Well, yeah, and we should mention that, you know, this thing is a collaboration of sort of three or four different things. It, uh, it began, uh, our relationship began with my program. I do a show called Radio Orbit, and for anybody interested, they can find me on the web at Mike Hagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N, Dot com, MikeHagan.com. Uh, anyway, I was interested in uh, getting to know John Lash, and I contacted uh, John through Joanna, not knowing Joanna at the time. Right. And um, uh, this was the beginning of our relationship. I eventually realized who Joanna was, was, was profoundly uh, gratified that I had come across her and that our paths had met, and I... Uh, was quick to grab on and hold her and make her a friend and tell her how much I appreciate everything that she's done and what a privilege it is to do this program with her because uh, she is an amazing woman. 
uh, for those of you out there who aren't familiar with her, and it's uh, a gift to be able to hear her words. I, I call myself a European shaman. Uh, this is really the root of our roots, and uh, being a woman, I'm about roots, and in my spirit, I am a root, mm-hmm. and um, I think that um, uh, a lot of us who uh, who live in the United States uh, are rooted in European folklore, and um, I um, I am Polish and Scottish and Irish and Russian. And I have in me all the uh, all the languages and the ritual memories of these cultures, as, as you were saying. Mm. I like uh, I like to think of myself as transcultural rather than uh, national or even international. I agree with you. I agree with you, Joanna. And. Uh... I will add one thing that you that, that that you made me forget. Of course, the most important or one of the most important uh, things that happened to me along the way was the discovery of the archaic, was the discovery of shamanism. And yeah. and it saved my life, quite frankly. I think it saved me. I I uh I I take it that seriously and the work of Terence uh in particular, which led me eventually to you, uh was uh, an absolutely remarkable and mysterious and magical uh, miracle that happened in my life and I, and I and I damn well intend to make the best of it well I I deeply uh, believe in uh, in plants as um, what Timothy Leary and I used to call um, evolutionary throw forwards <laughs> uh, I like that expression mm-hmm. evolutionary spiritual throw forwards and uh, although I um, I have been uh, sober 22 years which means that for me I don't use the substances uh, that I used in a compulsive way mm-hmm. uh, and for me that's alcohol and pot although I'm not against pot or alcohol, but I use them compulsively. And so I consider that um, I have lost uh, that privilege uh, if I want to be fully sober and and as conscious as I can be in spite of my fears in the present moment. (laughs) So I don't drink uh, and I don't smoke pot, but I deeply believe in... uh, what has been called entheogens mm. and plant medicines. Yes, I agree with you. And I think that uh, there is certainly something there for the individual when it comes to setting their own compass and being able to take a look at their own life and analyze their own relationships. I mean, that's what these things allow you to do with, with clarity. And clarity is, of course, something that is uh, in short supply these days. And the psychedelics in the right context, at the right dosage levels, etc. Set and setting. Set and setting, all these things so important. Timothy Leary came up with set and setting. Well, yeah, and they are tools and uh, and sacred tools that can 
be very beneficial to an individual and to a culture. But because of what they do, they also can become political dynamite, which is uh, and, and get they a, are political dynamite. Yeah, because they get cultures uh, in in a complete uh, tizzy, uh, just the way it's happened over here in America, and it's been like this now for thirty uh, for thirty years. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. I was uh, thinking about um, reading our um, our mission statement, a uh, a paragraph that's part of our mission statement. Well, I tell you what, Joanna, uh, let's let's um. Let's do that, but let's take a break first, okay? And we'll, okay. Uh, let's take a break, and then we'll come back at the top of the hour, and we'll start off with, with that. You can read something from Future Primitive, and then we can start to talk about, uh, about it, about the project. And what we are building. Exactly, what we're building. And, and, uh, and we can also uh, let people know more about the project, the website and everything, and how they can get involved, because we want to know what people think, and we want to get their opinions and their ideas and everything, too. So. Great. Wonderful, Joanna. Okay, back in just a moment. This is Dialogues on Future Primitive. You're listening to it with Joanna Harcourt-Smith and Mike Hagen. We'll be back in just a few moments.
once again, the Wimshurst machine. That one's called The Alchemist. All right, we are back. This is Dialogues on Future Primitive. You're listening to it with Joanna Harcourt-Smith and Mike Hagan. So, Joanna, okay, we, uh, we've given people a little bit about us. They know a little bit about us. Let's tell them about Future Primitive and what, uh, what we have uh, in store for them. Wonderful. Um, I think I'm going to read this quote that will uh, put us and our listeners in the mood uh, for what kind of lifeboat we're in. Perfect. So this quote says, No mere extrapolation from present to future seems possible. We are in a transition from one condition of symbiotic balance, the primitive, to another, which we call future primitive, a condition having the attributes of a mature ecosystem, stable, diverse, in symbiotic balance again, a community of beings joined in rim and basin, air and watershed, food hains, ceremonies. We will be informed by earthworms and plankton. We will study that authority which resides in place and act out our lives accordingly. There is no separate existence. Wow. So in this, I um, I want to say something, um, some and a thought that I've reflected on very much today, which I wrote down, which is place in self rather than self in place. Explain that, and Joanna. By that I mean I'm uh, sitting here looking out the window on. Uh, a beautiful landscape, um, sort of a Japanese mountainous landscape that tumbles down onto the Mediterranean and the Atlantic mm. where those two oceans join together, the Straits of Gibraltar. And right now uh, the hills are extremely green because it's rained tremendously here, which is wonderful. And so what I do is I let the place penetrate myself rather than just imposing myself, my ego, onto the place Mm -hmm. I'm in. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what you and I have agreed to, uh, to bring to these dialogues, to these conversations. Yes, I agree. And I love... The uh, quote that you read, it's sort of the manifesto of Future Primitive, as it were. Uh, We sort of hijacked the name from this wonderful quote from Jeremiah Gorslin and Freeman House from 1974. And that's available on the website, uh, by the way, if you'd like to read it again and let it sink in, because it's beautiful and profound and important and... uh, Relevant. You know, uh, Mike, I'd like you to to say it too. I'd like to hear you say it as well. 
All right, I'll do it, Joanna. Uh, and let's give them the website real fast before I do. www.futureprimitive.org. All right, and this is, yeah, uh, Jeremiah Gorslin and Freeman House from the Planet Drum Bundle number three, if you're interested in getting a copy of it. No mere extrapolation from present to future seems possible. We are in a transition from one condition of symbiotic balance, the primitive, to another, which we call future primitive, a condition having the attributes of a mature ecosystem, stable, diverse, in symbiotic balance again, a community of beings joined in rim and basin, air and watershed, food hands and ceremonies. We will be informed by earthworms and plankton. We will study that authority which resides in place and act out our lives accordingly. There is no separate existence. Good. Good. Yeah, you know, well, there's something about yeah. spoken word, you know, when you say something, uh, when you speak it. And I've had this as, as a revelation uh, over uh, many years, you know, Joanna, but when you speak something, it's different. It's different than reading it. It's different than hearing it. It has, mm -hmm. uh, it has an energy all its own. And I think that uh, there's, there's much to be said about this language. Uh, we could go on about it, and this will be another thing that we talk about during the course of this, uh, uh, of this series of programs. But, but, yeah, thank you for letting me read it. I appreciate it. Now, you know, I have been collaborating to this website um, with... Uh, with John Lash, with uh, Philip Baldwin, Ian Baldwin, and Michael Baldwin. And um, on this website, metahistory.org, we have been talking a lot about examining beliefs. Uh, and um, if you examine your beliefs and you find them not to be beliefs that foster a sustainable existence on the planet, um, you might want to change those beliefs. Uh, beliefs are not written in stone. The mind is not a stone. And um, so what, what we want to do here with Future Primitive is that we want to bring in and interview people who either have examined their own beliefs, as you were saying, um, about being brought up in the, uh, for instance, about being brought up in the Catholic faith, mm. quote-unquote, and, uh, and realizing that you're not obliged, you're not obliged to hold on to this particular faith for the rest of your life. Um, we want to bring in people who are examining their beliefs, have examined their beliefs, uh, and also we want to bring in people who, having examined the beliefs of the culture, are willing to um, bring, bring in new stories, new rit rituals, new ways of organizing reality that are inclusive. What do you mean by inclusive? That really support this notion that uh, we are a part of each other. Yeah. And, that uh, all living things are a part of each other. That we depend on each other. Interdependency. Interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say. 
You know, I I was uh, I was reading recently a book by Stephen Herod Buner, who is a wonderful author, and he's written a number of books. But the one that I was looking through recently is called "The Lost Language of Plants," yeah. and and uh, he's actually published by Chelsea Green, as a matter of fact, which is uh, I'm not sure in in what fashion is somehow involved with the Marion Institute, of course, who is the uh, the supporter of this particular project. Chelsea Green Publishing out of Vermont. They right. publish a lot of really wonderful books, and they will they will be publishing John Lash's new book, which is which is now called Not in His Image. Not in His Image. Amazing. Yeah, that's going to be a stunner when that comes out. By the way. Absolutely. Uh, so so Stephen in this book he talks about the the root systems of plants, for example, Joanna, and about how underground all of the root systems of all of these different plants and trees and shrubs and and fungi and uh, all kinds of different organisms all are tied to one another, literally, uh, under the ground. The roots of the oak tree uh, tie in with the roots of the blackberry, etc. You know, And it goes on and on and on. And he makes this amazing uh, point about the complexity and the, uh, the sophistication of the interconnectedness of this web that's beneath our feet and basically shows that it's as complex a connective tissue as the human cerebral cortex. Brilliant. Yeah, and it, it, it becomes, the more you learn about it, the more you see the the symbiosis, the cooperative nature, the partnership nature of nature, you realize how far we have moved from that. Uh, because the, the whole idea of, you know, the, the 19th century Darwinian idea that, uh, that it was simply the fastest, strongest, meanest, most nasty uh, of the species that uh, moved forward, that's, that, that was just a silly idea you know, by a bunch of people that were just interesting in sacking the world. So it just, it just represented that idea. The truth is that, it, that nature is a, it's a cooperative effort and, yeah. that, and that nature favors cooperation and that, and that, uh, and that we would be well set uh, to, to look there for examples. Absolutely. I saw that when I, uh, the only time I've been uh, down in the Amazon in, uh, in Peru, Wow, tell, um, me that, tell me that story. I've got to hear that. The, the, well, the extraordinary thing to me about the jungle, about a place that has not been, um, how would I say, excavated, that has not been tampered with. Um, I had the privilege to walk in a uh, in jungle that, uh, where there was no path, where nobody, nobody had walked. Nature was, nature was free to do what she does. And the entire floor of the of the jungle is crisscrossing roots of all kinds, from uh, brilliant red roots that are as, as thick as an arm <laughs> to the most tiny shreds of filament, and they just all crisscross each other, and um, and that's the floor of the jungle. Right, and it extends down, down, down. Wow. It's amazing, actually, and it and it really is the guy in mind, you know, and and you get uh, you get a taste of it 
every time you take a sacramental plant or, 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 or drink ayahuasca or eat the mushroom. Anytime you see what's real. Or as real as it gets in our world. I mean, you know, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what you were waiting for, but, <laughs> but that's what I was waiting for. You know, yeah. uh, this is, yeah. this, this is no, you know, Terrence used to say the truth stands alone. The truth can handle a close look. The truth can, mm-hmm. it, the truth can withstand scrutiny. And that's why these things are so, uh, are so dangerous to the to the status quo because they because when you scrutinize them you find out that you really do have something that means something very very serious and it's going to cause uh, things to change if it becomes incorporated into the culture. Now, who do we want to who do we want to bring in to future primitives? What voices do we want to invite? Wow. Uh, first, we need to say that we're going to do. One scheduled program a month, uh, which will be two hours long. Uh, we're not live yet, uh, so we'll be podcasting, meaning that you and I, each one will invite a guest, and um, we will talk for a little while together and introduce our topic and, uh, and speak a bit about why our guests uh, complement each other. And then uh, we will interview our guests, each one of us. And then we'll put this up on futureprimitive.org as a podcast. And we're hoping to have a lot of listeners so that eventually we can go live and we can do more programs and bring, and bring more sound to the, to the web. Yep, that's exactly right. And uh, the potential is really unlimited Right now, our only uh, limiting factor is the same as most people's limiting factor. That's cashola. Uh, you know, uh, money. it's money. Uh, but bandwidth is uh, is is the is the thing that we're really talking about, and bandwidth costs money. But uh, those are those are problems that are slowly uh, becoming solved. I think, uh, Joanne. I'm working on a couple of projects with some other people. One in Holland, and. Uh, uh, we're, we're getting close to being able to, to do this for a lot less money, I think. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. But we've got some great ideas. Joanna, you're right. Use your imagination when it comes to the people that we can bring to the program. Uh, I just got an email this morning, as a matter of fact, from someone who heard about our new program and sent me a couple of notes and said, Mike, uh, check out this duo, this man-woman team from Vancouver. called They, they call themselves LAL and gave me a website, and they're uh, very involved up in Canada in this uh, emergent community idea. And so we're already reaching people, even though we haven't, uh, we haven't even released our first program yet. So we're going to come up with uh, – I think we're going to find that there's so much of this stuff going on that very few people realize that it's going on because it never gets any press. Exactly. Exactly. Well, can you say that the floor – of the, like we say in French, the virgin forest mm-hmm. or the jungle or the, that the floor of the forest is chaotic. Could you say that that's, that's, that's chaos? Certainly, yeah. I mean, it's absolute chaos, with, but with, with order within it. That's the whole deal. So I was writing a little bit about... Um, uh, who we want to bring to this program, who we want to invite to this program. 
And um, the way I wrote it down is that I was thinking that it's people who have been able to get over themselves enough to surrender into the chaos hmm. and then to be spokespeople for organizing a vision, a perception of reality that is life-affirming and that will, that will preserve and enhance this environment for our children and grandchildren. We want to bring in the artists. We want to bring in people who arrange words and ideas uh, in a life-affirming way. I agree, Joanna, and I think that we should add now that uh, uh, if you haven't realized it yet, you've been hearing music at the breaks, and uh, the music is going to be a component of this program that we haven't spoken a lot about yet, but it's going to be a venue for independent artists uh, that are creating beautiful uh, pieces of sound, uh, an opportunity for those artists to share their music with you, and we'll have information about uh, the music that's uh, involved in the program or, or that, uh, that's played on the program. Uh, information about this will, will eventually be available at the website as well. We're going to begin to incorporate all of this stuff. And, uh, Joanna, you and I have spoken about the, uh, the website at length, you know, off the air as we've been developing it. And, and John Lash, of course, has been a big factor in that as well. But it really is like a birth. It's like, oh, gosh, it's hard to get the, the website right and out and up. And uh, it is a baby. And uh, now it's up. It's at futureprimitive.org. And now it's going to grow and change. And uh, certainly it may not be perfect quite yet, but uh, who, uh, <laughs> which of us are? Right. So anyway, I'm very excited about it. I'm thinking um, next month we'll uh, we'll have our first guest. I'm thinking of inviting Ina Mae Gaskin, who's been a midwife for most of her life, and um, who's been uh, who's been involved in future primitive very very deeply, in the sense of. Uh, reassuring and supporting mothers that birth is a natural process, yeah. that um, it is not right to practice what Michel Odon would call the scientification of love, meaning to put what is, what is natural and what is, what is loving and what is nature's process, to put that through machines and control and in fact, my daughter just had a baby at home, and I'm very, very, very proud of her. And uh, it's all true. Instead of taking 20 hours, 15 hours, whatever it is, yes, it was her second baby, but she, she, she delivered the baby in an hour and a half in a natural process, uh, in a safe place with women, because I think it's, just the way it is. It's the business of women mm -hmm. with a supportive man, of course. And um, so I think it would be very good to start, for me, to start our future primitive program with uh, someone who uh, has worked all her life to, uh, to bring this spirit of future primitive back into birthing.
I agree with you. I think it's a wonderful choice, and I hope that we can uh, get Ina Mae Gaskin. Yeah, she she was the woman who who founded uh, the farm. It was called the farm. It was a midwifery center in Tennessee that was just an absolutely groundbreaking uh, establishment years still ago, happening. I think. Yeah, and it's still uh, still ongoing. Sure. Still happening. She uh, she is uh, in a partnership with Stephen Gaskin who um, was a very much appreciated, has been on the, um, on the entheogenic path uh, for a very long time. And uh, there are several books by Stephen Gaskin that I was looking at today and, and that is basically about uh, the, the simplicity of being human and the complexity that baffles us. And I loved one thing that I got from from him on his website, and it just goes, it does not make you crazy to think a crazy thought. <laughs> and I love that. That's great. Yeah, that's a good thing for me. Otherwise, I really they, they would lock me away. Anyway, all right. Well, yeah, we've got uh, lots to look forward to, and I think over time we'll be able to put together a wonderful archive uh, of interesting and enlightened viewpoints, you know, from all of these different uh, perspectives. I, I can't wait to talk uh, with some of the uh, members of uh, the indigenous community. You know, you have connections down there in Mexico, and uh, I, I, would, I would love to, to somehow hear the grandmothers talk, you know. Well, I am actually um, going to be a traveling reporter for Future Primitive um, this uh, the, the first week in May, I am uh, flying to uh, Mexico City, and I'm going to Oaxaca and then to Huatla, Huatla de la Jimena, from where, from um, from where Maria Sabina, from mm-hmm. where Timothy and many others went to see the village where they went to see Maria Sabina. And uh, I will be participating in a week of prayer and ceremony with the 13 indigenous grandmothers, the Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers, who um, got together for the first time last October. Um, they, uh, They are from a grandmother from Tibet, a grandmother from Alaska, a grandmother from Oregon, a grandmother from Gabon, uh, from Africa, just to name a few. There are 13 of them who got together last uh, last October for the first time in upstate New York and decided that they would form a council and that they would visit each other's country hmm. uh, during the next six years, each other's countries of origin, and that they would pray together, these 13 grandmothers and those who would come with them, would pray together um, for um, in support of of the earth and uh, in, uh, in to, to a certain extent in supplication for a sustainable world for our children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren. Hmm. And I think it's going to be a, uh, I think, I know, I feel, it's going to be a magnificent event, um, seven days in Huatla, in Mexico, 
and uh, I will be podcasting back from there. I will be taping some of the ceremonies and uh, sending the feedback to you and to Larry so that you could put it put them on the website. Fantastic. I can't wait for that. It'll be wonderful. So we'll have special events like that one uh, throughout the year. Yes, that is a great uh, uh, observation and a great idea. I really hadn't thought of that as such. But, yeah, there will be these things that come during the year that will require special attention and we'll make uh, uh, special uh, events out of them. That's perfect. Exactly. Uh, we will bring to people events that might not be covered by the uh, by the big guys. Right. But that contribute to the be- beating heart of the planet. Joanna, let's talk a little bit about, we've been talking about the grandmothers, and I think it's important to talk about women a little bit more. You made a comment to me after the Albert Hoffman Symposium in in Basel just a a couple of months ago, and although I know you had a wonderful experience there, and you may even talk about it a bit if you'd like, but there was an observation that you made that really has stuck with me, and that was the fact that there were so few women that were involved there. And I think that it's important for us to recognize how we're uh, going to do our best to make to make the, the the feminine a big part of this program, and how, and and that we want to talk to uh, to women guests certainly as much or more than uh, than male guests. We're trying to make a a balanced partnership out of this whole endeavor. Well, in actual fact, Mike, thanks for bringing that in because I I really um, want to say this even in a larger context. Yes. Um, I went to um, Albert Hoffman, John Lash and I went to Albert Hoffman's 100th anniversary uh, celebration. And um, actually, he was there and he was magnificent. And uh, Albert Hoffman, that is, and he, he spoke about his experience. I just want to say it's really beautiful. I loved what he said. One of the things he said is that the border between France and Switzerland goes through his property, the official border. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that when he looks down on the ground, he sees that the border between France and Switzerland is an acorn. <laughs> and I think that's, that's beautiful. But you know, back to the situation about women. Um, I was very surprised to look up on stage at this big event on the opening day and to see that there were no women on the panel. So I just want to bring in this uh, this call on a on a greater level. I I really think that uh, I'm calling to invite women who need, want, think, feel, they have something to say, uh, please get in touch with Mike Hagen at MikeHagen.com. Get in touch with me at Future Primitive or at Joanna MetaHistory.org. Uh, it's time for us to get together and it's time for us to speak up and it's time for us to live in our absolute power of love. All right. Joanna, let's actually do that sort of officially. I'm going to give out our contact information, okay, so people know how they can get a hold of either you or me. Uh, For me, the best way is uh, just through email, 
and it is Orbit Radio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, Orbit Radio at AOL.com. And for Joanna, Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A, at Metahistory, M-E-T-A-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, dot O-R-G. I think that's correct, right, Joanna? Absolutely. Okay. Women, sisters, uh, call in to us, speak to us. We want people's uh, feedback and, uh, and comments. So, all right. So, yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about what happened in Switzerland. Well, basically, it was very poignant and very touching. And I think the important thing that was going on at that, uh, that weekend in Switzerland was more the, the 1,500 to 2,000 people who came together mm. from all over the world um, intergenerationally. What types of people were there? I mean, give me an well, idea of the sort of the demographic of the audience. Oh, I think that, that there were at least 60% of young people. Really? That's younger in, generation. That's incredible. Younger, younger than me and from your generation uh, to younger. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 40% of us who actually surfed the first crest of the wave right, right. of creativity and, and spirit, uh, new spirit. Um, but, but I felt that there wasn't, there wasn't enough said, except for Albert Hoffman himself, there wasn't enough said about our connection with our habitat, with our home, mm. with the Gaia Principle. And I felt there wasn't enough said about um, about our spirit. I don't want to sound new age, but that we are sparks and that we can spark each other and that every everything and anything is possible, touching sparks and flames. I agree with you, and I don't think it's new age. I had one of my favorite uh, people and wonderful teachers was you know, the, the amazing mythologist Joseph Campbell. And, mm-hmm. and he used to say that the vitality of a vital person vitalizes others. And it is like a spark, and the spark catches on, and it grabs somebody else. And uh, this is one of the, uh, one of the obvious, uh, one of the obvious goals and objectives of our program, to, uh, to bring in more sparks. Yeah, yeah. And not to be afraid of the sparks that burn, and not to be afraid of the sparks that spark incredible poignancy and tears. Not to be afraid, not to not to judge the spark and what the spark is like. Hmm. All right. Well, there's certainly a lot of judging going on these days, so uh, we could use a break from that. So this will be a, a two-hour monthly break from that, certainly. Well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty much complete in uh, speaking intimately with our listeners about what our dreams are, what we want to offer here over the um, web waves, <laughs> the web wave we want to, we want to surf together. Yeah, we've, um, we've given them a taste of what they're going to get, hopefully. We've told them, uh, told them a little bit about the program, what we have in mind, doing interviews from Europe and from America and bringing them together to share with them once a month and uh, the website of course at futureprimitive.org 
And they know a little bit about you. They know a little bit about me. There's certainly much more where that came from. And I guess over time, we will probably share more of our own uh, lives with the listeners as we share viewpoints of other people. Uh, but a wonderful start. And uh, I look forward to uh, to doing more of them. I can't wait, actually. And uh, as we've talked about off the air, this is it. We dreamt it up a year ago. And we are now going to... Uh, hit the enter button, and make it real. So, And our first uh, podcast will be around the middle of April. We will be announcing it on the site, and uh, it will be a couple of weeks before I leave for Mexico so um, I can bring you the prayers of the grandmothers. Wow, that will be wonderful, Joanna. Okay, yeah, uh, Joanna, so we will be... Uh, our tentative schedule is that we'll be uploading the new podcasts around the 20th or the 21st of every month, I think. This first one, of course, will be out uh, a little off of that particular rhythm, but uh, looking forward to doing it. We'll have them up and uh, to the audience every month uh, on the 20th or the 21st. And as you said, which is going to be so wonderful, uh, these special events such as the one that you're going to be doing in May uh, will come sort of as they come. And uh, I want to add that um, we are uh, metahistory.org and futureprimitive.org, both projects sponsored by the Marion Institute. That's marioninstitute.org, a uh, wonderful organization in uh, Marion, Massachusetts, who spearhead uh, uh, several really wonderful programs. And um, I am working here in collaboration with uh, Mike Hagen, who has a, uh, an amazing radio program every Monday night uh, from 11 till 2 in the morning. Um, Mike, you can give the, the call words of the station. Yes, I'm, uh, I actually broadcast on KOPN, uh, Columbia, Missouri. And, uh, uh, of course, all of my stuff is also podcast and archived on the web at Mike Hagen. Com. And it is wonderful, Joanna. It is a collaboration between uh, Radio Orbit, between Meta History, between uh, the Marion Institute, all coming together to, to build Future Primitive. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. And the Marion Institute is, as you say, a group of uh, wonderful people doing great work. And we're hoping to, uh, to expand that. So. A sound web on the web. That's the way to... Uh, to say it, I think. A wonderful new sound web on the web. And uh, Future Primitive is where it's at, futureprimitive.org. Joanna, to you soon. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody, and thank you very much. Good night, Mac. We'll finish things off with one more from the Wimshurst machine. This is called Magic Lights, and we'll talk to you all next month.
Future Primitive is a cooperative endeavor sponsored by MetaHistory.org and the Marion Institute. Information available at www.marioninstitute.org.